Welcome to Deck Picks Podcast. This is a podcast where a group of friends gets together to talk about their commander decks, how we built them, how they played, and what we might change in future decks. If you want to know more about the deck that we're talking about today, take a look at our Moxfield account where we share the deck list as well as all of the suggestions that we talk about. Want to hear more about how our games are going and what cards may have made the difference in the win? Follow us on some of our socials at Deck Picks Pod. Now let's jump in. We're here with Deck Picks Podcast. We're going to be talking about the Gitrog monster this week. Joining us today is going to be Martin, Nick, and Aaron. And to get things started off, I thought I'd just start off with a quick question that uh, you guys can put as much or as little thought as you'd like into. Uh, you get one pizza topping. Martin, what are you picking? Jalapenos all day. You know I like to get spicy. All right. That's the wrong answer, but okay. Nick. <laughs> One pizza topping, that's it. Oh, I think it's got to be pepperoni. Uh, the trash pizza topping of It's not trash, the... it's perfect. It, it's trash, it's trash. <laughs> it's Aaron, what are you picking? I mean, the correct answer is jalapenos. What but, is happening? But I have to say chicken. Chicken? That's, that's, chicken is your answer for everything. It's it's, it's the number 42. It's, it's the number 42 in the universe of Aaron. It's got to be chicken. You guys, you guys had jalapenos and chicken as the topping of choice for your pizza. 100%. You're doing it wrong if you're not doing a good like artisanal sausage. Or pineapple. Pineapple belongs on okay, pizza. I will stand off this podcast. I will, I will stand by pineapple belongs on pizza until the oh, day absolutely. I die. I think it does, but I don't think pineapple alone could be on pizza. I think it yeah, needs it, to it be needs, with something it else. It needs to complement so the salty. So you, yeah, so you so you can't say one topping because pineapple is yeah. the wrong answer. Then a no, pineapple chicken be, uh, combo. I picked. Oh. I picked the artisanal uh, sausage. Say artisanal one more time. Artisanal. What I'm, you going, with an arti- be, uh, I'm going with an artisanal chicken to pizza. Not perfect. Hey, <laughs> you've already classed up your uh, your gutter pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to move on. Nick, this is your deck, and um, why don't you take a minute and just kind of introduce us to the theme of the deck? Kind of give us the thoughts behind building it, and um, uh, take us on take us on a journey. Yeah, so the journey is, it was in my binder, and it's been in my binder for a decade. Um, and it's just been staring me in the face. Um, I've really liked the card since I got it in the Ravnica set, um, which has been a very long time at this point. Innistrad. Um, is it Innistrad? Yeah. Hey, we, we're all wrong sometimes. Hey, um, thanks hey, thanks. He'll play his own deck, thank you. <laughs> Ravnica, it's Ravnica. Apparently, Jesus Christ. Um, so I guess uh, a little bit of backstory on the Gitrog monster, um, based in lore, it was an enormous frog that lives in the depths of Lake Zava, uh, which is located in the highlands of Nephelia on Innistrad, uh, near the border of Gavany. And when Emrakul came, it, like, mutated it pretty severely. I think there's a, um, what is the magic online game that they play that they send out decks for or card sets for you guys remember like, like mtg arena is that what you're talking yeah, about they made an arena card for getrog that was like deformed mm, um, nice. and then it showed back up in march of the machine as a uh, commander with uh thalia thalia yeah yep. 
Um, but so this deck is is pretty cut and dry Gitrog. Uh, you want to get lands in your graveyard, and you want to get them there fast. Um, he triggers off of that. So Gitrog is a 6-6 six, six with Death Touch. He is uh, three colorless and a swamp and a green. Um, it states at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land. And you may play an additional land on each of your turns. And then whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. So I just think Gitrog is the perfect value engine. Um, he can let you draw an insane amount of cards, uh, fill up your graveyard with pretty much everything you need to win the game. Um, so I built Gitrog um, around the main focus of dumping your or your library into your graveyard as quick as possible. Um, a couple ways you do that. Um, I've got a card in here called Underrealm Lich. Um, one of the key components of the deck. He is a 3 converted mana cost, uh, swamp and green 4-3 that states if you would draw a card, instead look at the top 3 cards of your library and then put one into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. He has a pay 4 life and he gains indestructible until the end of the turn and tap him. So He's got some insane evasion already tagged onto him with that indestructible feature, but every time a land goes into your graveyard, he triggers the draw to reveal three. And more times out of not, I mean, I've got 38 lands in the deck, so you're going to be drawn a land, which will trigger that whole cycle all over again. Pretty quickly, you've got everything in your graveyard um, that you want, and then you're trying to find something at that point to flip it out. Um, and you want to flip the lands, because a lot of this deck involves landfall triggers um, or things that um, will let you sack land for mana to make a big bomb like Torment of Hailfire, which is a X cost, X cost, and a black and a black. And it says repeat the following process X times. Each opponent loses three life unless that player sacrifices a non-land permanent or discards card. Another big bomb in this deck. Um, same converted mana cost, X, and a swamp, and a swamp. Each opponent loses X life, and you gain life equal to life lost this way, and that's a sanguinate. I always can't say that card. Um, so those are the two big bomb cards in there. Um, I, th I think the best way to get your, li or your lands back on, on the battlefield, which is kind of the main focus, is going to be... Um, uh, Splendid Reclamation. It is a sorcery. It's a four converted mana cost, three colorless, and a green. And it states, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Um, I mean, that's just a huge bomb in Gitrog. As soon as you get all those those lands in your graveyard, you have, you're able to cast this pretty early on, flip your graveyard over, and usually at that point you have one of your your main combo pieces to clear the border or take everybody out at that point. Um, another good one to do that is a creature, actually. And I think this creature works insanely well in this deck. Uh, World Shaper. It's a four converted mana cost, three colorless, and a green. It's a 3-3, three, three, and it states whenever he attacks, I can put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard, already triggering Gitrug, probably. If, if land goes into the graveyard, um, and then when it dies, put all land cards from your graveyard onto the battlefield tapped. Um, so those are some good key points to get lands back. Um, 
I like to kind of use this deck as a self-land destruction deck. Um, so I like to benefit from not only tapping my lands once, but then sacrificing them to double up my mana. Um, one of the best ways I have to do that is going to be the enchantment Squandered Resources. It's a two converted mana cost swamp and a uh, forest. And it states sacrifice the land, add to your mana pool one mana of any type the sacrificed land can produce. And I can play that ability as a mana source. So if I can dump my lands out onto the battlefield and then sack them right away to use them, that's a huge benefit. Um, another big one is uh, Reign of Filth. And this one's nice because it's an instant, so I can do this whenever I need to. Uh, this is a one swamp, and each land I control gains sacrifice this land, add one black mana to my mana pool until the end of the turn. So just a huge way to combo out early if I need to. Um, but this deck has a lot of um, workaround to it. So like if something comes up where I need to focus on landfall, there's always side options to it. Um, so I have a, a sub-landfall theme in this deck so that if something happens where I can't find my combo piece, I at least have a landfall trigger that I can fall back onto. Um, usually I'm looking for Obnix List of Fallen. He is a 5 converted mana cost, uh, 3 colorless, 2 swamp, 3-3. Three, three. That states landfall whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. You may have a target player lose 3 life if you do put 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on him. I mean, just a crazy bomb if you're flipping your graveyard lands over to your battlefield. Um, so... That's the theme of the deck is lands in your graveyard and sacrificing them and getting them back on and using them to clear everybody out. I don't attack much in this deck. In fact, I uh, I didn't even know the Gitrog monster could attack until the last game that we played when you played him and you attacked me. And I I mean, for somebody who doesn't attack anyway as a player, you you don't use your creatures to attack they do other things uh so i was really offended that you decided to attack me with him Just well throwing I that mean, out there sometimes you got to realize that you can do that yeah i'm definitely a combo <laughs> player though i don't i don't like to go wide with creatures um i i'm not good at it i know that about myself um i like to play with my deck and <laughs> hopefully win um in a strategic way that way well, speaking of not wanting to go wide or not liking to go wide, I, when I was looking at this deck, thought that a good sub-theme, and, and you said you're running a landfall sub-theme, but you have potential here to go wide with oh, creature and tokens. He has. And he has. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Titania okay. does that so quickly, especially with um, Scape Shift, which is, I think, I added this card pretty late into the... Um, building process but a buddy of mine at work actually showed me this card it's a four converted mana cost two colorless and two green that states sacrifice any number of lands search your library for up to that many land cards which i think is a crazy text up to that many land cards it doesn't say basic land it doesn't it's just any land cards that you have um and put them on the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library which is an absolute bomb especially if you're able to get i mean at least 15 lands out um, or, or maybe like there's 15 lands in your graveyard you're able to flip and then sack them to search for 15 it, it, it has a lot of combo potential with, with the landfall triggers I think I got like 9 9 to 10 of Titania's 5 threes out by turn yeah. 
five or something like that in one of these games. Yeah. Yeah, it was disgusting. Yeah. I guess in my mind, so it, so your two main win cons then are the X spells, right? That that's your goal. Um, yeah, that's definitely the goal. I mean, the goal is to cycle through the deck as fast as possible, um, get those cards that I need, and then bomb it, it, as big as possible. If if the only kind of issue you run into is if you're running a control deck, like you run into a control deck that you know can really cause a hiccup in your plan, then maybe go for that sub-theme of trying to go for landfall triggers. Because you don't, I mean, the worst possible thing is to flip your library, or fr- flip, flip flip your graveyard, and then have somebody counter your, <laughs> once you've destroyed all of your lands. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will say, um, I will say that I think that a lot of the power of Gitrog at our table has benefited from the fact that not a lot of people run blue in general, I don't think. And then also, not as we're not as heavy as on counters as maybe we should be. Um, so I definitely think like that's a benefit right now because there's definitely been times where you've gotten some great combos off, and I can't help but feel. And I mean, this can go for literally any deck. Let's be real, but uh, I can't help but feel like, man, if one person had even a spell pierce, you yeah. know, literally Absolutely. anything. Uh, I mean, not only does that stop you from winning the game, it very likely loses you the game because you have just put every single resource you have yeah. into the graveyard in a way that you probably aren't getting it back at that point. Like maybe because no. I feel like that usually by that time you've already set up getting everything back from your graveyard. Yeah. So I, I do think that it's a, it's vulnerable to um, <clears throat> a, a blue or a control heavy deck that it just really isn't seen much at our table. Um, yeah, especially right general. now. And we ran in, or I ran into um, another issue too with it was graveyard hate that I thought was going to be mm-hmm. an issue with it, which um, one of our other pod mates, Alex, was running. Um, I can't remember what card it was that exiled pretty much my entire graveyard. Um, yeah. And I mean, that completely shut the deck down completely stalled it out um so i've i mean i put a few things it was in here uh, soul too. guide lantern soul guide lantern yeah mm-hmm. so i've i put a few things in here at that point to kind of give myself some anti-graveyard hate um i've got felden's cane it's a one cost artifact that has a tap to reshelf your graveyard into your library and remove that from the game remove felden's cane from the game just a quick way to if you see something coming start over pretty much for for that um i also put in perpetual timepiece uh, it's a two cost artifact has tap with the top two cards of your library in your graveyard really works well with getrog already and then it has a pay to exile perpetual timepiece and then shuffle any number of target cards from your graveyard into your library i think this one kind of works as a um, dual purpose card not only is it able to get cards into your graveyard but let's say you have your graveyard pretty much in or your library pretty much in your graveyard I'm able to then pick the cards I need and shuffle them into a very small pile that I can draw mm-hmm. from at that point so um, it, I think it's a, a very versatile card for this deck and it works I haven't been able to get it off or, or use it but um, I think it'll work pretty well if I can use it that way yeah 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things we we talked about, Aaron, kind of touched on how, you know, you hunt through and look for these big bombs that you're going to drop, drop, the Torment of Hailfire, the Exsanguinate, um, and it has worked out super well. But uh, the one time that really stands out and comes to mind was playing against Cody in his Atlet Polani deck. Mm-hmm. Um which you tormented the table, took out yeah. everybody except he had just enough to skate through with, I think it one was life. like yeah it was like one life, mm-hmm. and he had a bunch of big creatures out that he, I mean he did the math he was in a in a position and then he was able to punch through he had, um a, what four Bayloths or something like that so and, like yeah that. he had just a massive amount of damage that it just missed out on so it wasn't even that you countered but you didn't quite have enough and i mean i think i think he, you did you dealt out like 33 or 34 uh-huh. damage or something he 36. also um earlier in the game actually stalled me out pretty aggressively with a beast within against uh i have a card in here skirt familiar it's a five um, convert a mana cost four colorless one swamp three two that has flying and discard a card at one swamp so I was, at that point, I had um, a very key land out called Deck or Salvage in this deck um, that says Dredge 2 on it. So Dredge is a mechanic that if you would draw a card, instead you can put two cards from the top of your library in your graveyard. If you do, return it to your hand. And so I was able to use um, Skirt Familiar to discard Deckmore, Dredge, return it to my hand, and then just continually do that in an infinite cycle to mill myself as much as I needed to. And Cody was able to beast within that uh, familiar and completely shut my engine down at that point. So that was a huge a, a huge uh, slowdown for me, that game, for sure. Well, looking at the deck, there, there's a couple things that I, I noticed. And the first thing that I noticed, one, is that, I mean, this is this is a tightly built deck, right? This isn't... I mean, this is a deck you've been running consistently now. I think you said mm-hmm. you've played it nine games, and that was all very recently. Yeah. So there's less wiggle room than, say, Hidetsugu, who we did the, the first week. Yeah. But the one thing I'm thinking is, I see that you've got a worldly tutor in this deck, and, mm-hmm. and that itself is a, a decently expensive card, but that only lets you tutor for a creature. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for X spells, you're going to need a way to find those. And if, I mean, obviously you could, you could spend a bunch of money for a vampire tutor or a, (laughs) yeah, yeah, or a demonic tutor. But there's one card that I've really been liking lately and it's profane tutor, which is a much cheaper way to tutor in black. It has to spend two. So you have to pay a colorless and a swamp. And then rather than play this card from your hand, you pay that and exile it with two time counters on it. So then you've got to wait two upkeeps before you're actually going to be able to tutor. But if you get this out early enough, that just means you're going to be able to have your win con in hand, possibly turn three. And then you're going to be able to search your library for a card. You put it into your hand and you shuffle. And I think that that can be important if you're relying on X spells to win a game to ensure that you're going to have them. In that vein, too, if you're looking at budget, I mean, Diabolic Tutor, that's got to be a less than a dollar, and that's going to help you. That can search you for something, but that's going to be, a, I think it's two colorless and two swamps. Two swamp, I think, yeah. The thing and, with Profane Tutor, 
Oh, go go ahead, Aaron. No, yeah. So I was just gonna say. I mean, in this in this deck, four mana isn't that much. You're you're ramping so quickly that if you didn't want to spend the money on a on a demonic tutor or something like that, um, I think that the uh, diabolic tutor would be just as good. And and here's what I want to say about Profane Tutor. I think it's a great card. I really do. I personally have a great with the suspend mechanic, um, especially the fact that if I if I'm suspending two, that's giving players two turns to counter that spell when it comes out. Like if for whatever reason they got a counter, they know I'm I'm casting that card in two turns, and they know I'm gonna get whatever card I want from my library in two turns. So I think it's more. Maybe people would be like, uh, I need to make sure I can counter that or figure out a way to do something to him before that goes off. I, I, I guess I, I see that point, but another way you could look at it, and this is a this is a 6D chess move, is... 6D chess. You, you, you could also look at it, though, that you have the benefit of having that on the radar. So now somebody who has a counter in hand maybe holds it, and then you play something else, well, now they have to decide, well, am I going to counter this Profane Tutor? And they have to weigh the opportunity cost, and it might let you eke out something like Absolutely. um, like Underrealm Lich. Like, in my experience playing against this deck, Underrealm Lich should be countered every single time. Yeah. So, now you've got Profane Tutor out, well, if you don't counter that, and you or if you, if you play Underrealm Lich, and they don't counter that because you're holding on to Profane Tutor, now you can tutor for a recursion to get Underrealm Lich back, or you yeah. can get something else. Maybe you don't need Underrealm Lich at the time. So, it might actually kind of work um, in your favor to have that in the open and have somebody play, have to decide, well, am I going to counter this or am I going to counter that? And it's really a lose-lose for them. Yeah, speaking of counterspells, I, I put a card in here specifically for counterspells that I love endlessly. Um, it's Veil of Summer. It's a one green. It states, it's an instant. Draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanence you control gain Hexper from blue and black until the end of the turn. I think that's an absolute insane card for green. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's a must-add in something like this when you're trying to protect. Yeah, for sure. Against that stuff. For sure. So looking at this at this deck list again, and we don't need to get into my gripe about mana rocks. <laughs> but you're running 38 lands, and I think I see five or six mana rocks on mm-hmm. this list. And I understand. I mean, you're you're going to want a lot of mana to cast these really big spells. But it seems to me like the deck's already going to have a lot of mana. So yeah. I understand wanting to get out fast. I mean, you've got a mana vault in here. It's a pretty good card. You've got a soul ring. I mean, you've got the ability to get out fast. So, do you think that you're running too many mana rocks? Um, rocks, no. I I think. I mean, the goal is for me. I like as many mana rocks as possible. I like mana sources, um, especially in a deck that relies heavily on me sacrificing lands. I want to make sure I have as many possible outlets for mana that don't rely on lands. So, mana rocks are huge for me. Treasure tokens are huge for me. Um, this deck relies on a lot of lands because and to <laughs> underrealm lich um if i'm revealing three cards i want one of them to be a land i don't want to reveal three cards that 
don't trigger Gitrog, and then don't trigger Underrealm Lich. So I run 38 because I've found so far in my experience playing it that there's not a lot of times that I don't reveal three cards and one of them isn't a land. So, which is great for me, really. And that makes sense. I, I, I absolutely agree with running at least 38 lands in this deck. Yeah. I could see bumping that up. It was really just specifically, you're using a lot of cards for... Uh, yeah. To, to Martin's point, I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. Uh, I understand why Mana Vault is in the deck. I understand why Mana Vault is in literally any deck. Um, it's questionable here. Of all the decks that you play it in... It's questionable most here to me, because while I understand that you could get a turn to get Rog Monster, and that's fantastic, I don't think I've ever seen it. Like, even the games that you've gotten a fast win, I don't think it's because you've had Mana Vault out, and it seems, I mean, pardon my terminology here, it seems like a win more card, yeah. and I, I it, but in fact, it's never helped you win. And no. so... I, do you need it in the deck? I'm not convinced that you do because the deck can already be fast and because you can churn out mana so quickly that that's one where that might benefit from another win con or um, another thing like Imp's Mischief. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're going to cut down the budget of the deck tenfold just by even swapping to Imp's Mischief, which I think is like a $9 card right now yeah. um, well, to help protect your protect your cards. Yeah, and there was a card, actually, that Billy um, suggested on here that as soon as I saw it, I was like... Because Mana Vault, for sure, has... it's It's been on my chopping block. It's kind of a pet card for me. I love the card that I have it, and I'm able to put it everywhere. <laughs> it's a pet card. What a, what a like, what an <laughs> unknown a... card. It, what a tell. What a tell. With his little pet card. <laughs> Listen, okay, I mean, it's a good card. I want to put it in my deck, you know? I like it. It's it's a it's a bomb, man. But but you're right. It doesn't help me really win games. Uh, you could replace it with a mana crypt. You know, I added that in the list. If... I saw that. I, I think we should a... jump to our to our suggestions. But one thing that I was thinking about with the mana rocks because I looked at it initially and I thought, boy, I don't know if I would run that many mana rocks. And like, I'm cooling on soul ring and those those oh, kinds nice. of things. Like, I, my man, I haven't nice. taken it out of any decks, but I would definitely say that if I'm running a really tight tech deck list, it's probably one of the first ones on the chopping block. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, okay. And part of that goes into the stats that I pulled that I don't know if you guys all saw or not, um, where I looked through our first 50 games, looked at turn one soul rings. So we had 17 of them. Mm -hmm. Only three times did that turn one soul ring get a win. And I believe it was two of those three times was in a Simic deck with massive ramp. And so it was like a drop in the bucket. So while I'm cooling on Manorox, I will say that the Manorox in this deck felt a little safe. It felt like a safety net where if Nick were to be casting one of his big things and it gets countered and he ends up with all of his lands in his graveyard, mm -hmm. at least he's got something. And that's why I have them in there for sure. And I will say this that too. that was the only thing. It feels like a weird, weird safety net for you to pick because you don't care what we play. You're there to play solitaire. Okay. Um, but okay. that was, I think, I I saw that as like the thought process behind it when I was going through and looking at cards and and seeing what I would take out or what I would put in. I saw the reasoning behind it. 
I don't know why you're doing it, but let's. I think let's... my rebuttal there is though is that the scenarios that you're depicting in which or describing in which that becomes useful. I think the the detriment that he puts himself into in that scenario, those mana rocks aren't getting him out. Like he's out of the game at that point. Mm-hmm. Unless and then and, and if he's not out of the game, it, the mana rocks aren't what's helping him. It's the it's the other cards that are going to hopefully slip from his graveyard if he can get them back. But at that point, like colorless mana doesn't do you a lot of good. And even if it does, it's going to be a turn or two before you can get anything back. I don't see those. Like I said, that's why I said that I don't think they're. I don't think they're win cards. I think they're win more cards where they're going to maybe get it a turn or two faster. Well, look at but, the last game that we played. I mean, I yeah, turn one soul ring, whatever. Um, let's talk about turn two soul rings because I played a turn two soul ring into mm-hmm. Azusa and put mm-hmm. three lands out on my like I had yep six lands on turn two at that point. Yeah, so, and that's why I'm saying like mana sources. Like, Mana Vault, it doesn't do. Like, that's what You're I'm saying. Right. Like, like, I don't think Mana Vault does any more than a Soul Ring, and I don't think that both of them, or in many decks, I don't know if either of them are required. I know Soul Ring is really good. Um, obviously, it helps a lot of decks, but in this deck in particular, like I said, Mana Vault is something where if you were looking for a card to cut, that's one of the first ones where I would look and be like, well, do I need to do I need it to be more efficient? I don't think it's I don't I honestly think it's a half a percentage in terms of efficiency because that one colorless mana isn't gonna do you any more good than a, yeah. a soul ring in a lot of cases. Well, I could always replace it with this awesome card that Billy has, this Zurin Orb, a zero cost artifact that has me sacrifice land for two life and cut my average CMC down. Because that's well, and that's another. I mean, that's love a, that card I, so much. And listen, I'm I'm a hipster, so I see that kind of card, and I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. I would love to see a card like that because I'm literally never going to see that anywhere else. So yeah, I think that's such a cool, cool suggestion. Absolutely, there, Bill. I think that was one of my favorites that I've seen. Hey, I'll just uh, I'll take the wins where I can get them. It's um, not against Gitrug. Well. You know, clearly. Okay, let's let's talk about the win rate with Gitrog. So you've played nine games this season. You're at a 33%, so you've won three games out of the nine. Um, of the other games, I don't have the hard numbers because I didn't feel like taking the time, if I had to be honest. But of those times that you did not win, so of the six games, uh, three of them were last place either fifth or fourth, depending on the pod size. And looking back at those games and remembering what they were, it was because you were so hot that it took the entire table to take you down. Yeah. So you're right now with Gitrog, you're winning on average uh, turn seven and a half. You've got a six, uh, an eight, and a nine turn win. Um, yeah, and so like, deck. I mean, it's a fast deck you're able to, I, and I think a big part of it, like, like we were talking about that under realm lich where you're able to just continuously search through your deck. I mean, it's, it's like a better scribe because instead of just putting it back into your deck to draw later, you're just putting it exactly where you want. Yeah. Um, and you're picking what goes into your hand, what goes into the graveyard. You're looking at the entire deck. 
And I think that that really shows in the number of turns that it takes you to pop off a win or how the table has to react to you. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think it's... Uh, Martin, I wanted to circle back to kind of what you were talking about because you've got some good cards, so I kind of wanted to poke poke you a little bit going through your list. I mean, you've got, it looked like, some landfall, some... um a little more removal and protection, I guess. Give us the idea of if you were going to be, if Nick handed you the deck and said, hey, make some changes, what are you, what are you looking at? Well, I, again, I think it's important to remember that I'm, I'm newer to Magic. So while I come up with, I like to think I come up with some interesting gameplay mechanics, my first thought would never have been, let's go into the graveyard. I mean, sure, I would I would throw in a, a crucible of worlds, one, because I own the card, and two, because it makes sense to play lands if you're sacking them from the graveyard. But I went right away with landfall. So when we were talking about win cons, Avenger of Zendikar is a, a basic green win con, and if you're just throwing out a bunch of lands, I mean, I've got an, an AC deck, which runs very similar to this. Avenger of Zendikar is... Five colorless and two uh, green. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, to create a zero-one green plant creature token for each land you control. So you're probably getting minimum eight or nine plant creature tokens in Gitrog. It, it could be 15, 16. It just depends. And then whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each plant creature. So right there, Nick doesn't like going wide. But in my mind, if I'm building out this deck... I, I'm going to try to go wide, and I'm just going to start swinging at people. Now, I think your way is definitely better, but it's it's more nuanced, and it takes, a, I would say, more planning, more preparation in the front end, and I just wasn't ready for that type of deck building, at least mm-hmm. at, at where I'm at. Another thing, you're drawing a lot of cards, so I want to punish card draw, and the best card to yep. do that, everyone knows it's shield red. I mean... Good luck keeping it on the battlefield, but two colorless and two swamp. It's got death touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. That's an expensive card, but if you got mana vault, you got money to burn. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at things. You have two of these or three of these. So, sure, you've you got an extra one, right? those are the things that I'm looking at. Obviously, we we talked about the profane tutor because I'm trying to find the X spells, but then. One card that I I just saw, and obviously Lord of the Rings just came out, this Entish Restoration, two colorless mm-hmm. and a green. Sacrifice a land, search your library for up to two basic lands, put Love them onto card. the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle. If you control a creature with power four or greater, which Gitrog is, instead search your library for three basic lands and put them onto the battlefield, tapped, and shuffle. That's huge. That, that's a perfect card for this yeah, deck. I mean, I those totally are the types agree. of things that I, I would be dying over um other than that i I just went with a lot more landfall a lot of token generation uh groundswell is is just a a one green instant target creature gets plus two plus two until the end of the turn and it has landfall if a land entered the battlefield uh that creature gets plus four plus four instead so i'm just thinking in a pinch if if we need to start swinging with gitrog which is a six six death touch i mean you can easily pump out damage with that right mm-hmm. and you can win in magic through attacking despite what some people think right sure some so you people can be... nick historically can hey you gotta right. lean into what you're good at okay it's not attacking for me 
Right. Um, so I, that's where I would go with the deck. Yeah, I really like your um, add of is it constant mists. This uh, one colorless, one green instant that has buyback, sacrifice land. Love that trigger. Love being able to sack land. Um, that says creatures deal no combat damage this turn. I think that's a solid, solid card to protect myself from, you know, say a, a big Voltron commander coming at me or something like that. So I like that a lot. I think that was a perfect card to add. You never know when a bug is just going to be flying around swinging at you for 40 commander damage. Or okay? a monk. Like a monk so, that can get pumped with instants or sorceries or anything exactly. like that. Yeah, yeah. Other Double people strength. have decks at the table, too. <laughs> Only have eyes for yours. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or a knight that equips for zero and really hates. Uh, so, <laughs> so, I know we're talking about Martin's list. I, I also thought Constant Mist, uh, and let's, I tried to keep budget in mind for a lot of the cards just just because that's who I am. Uh, Constant Mist, I think, is really good. Tangle, I didn't put on my list, but Tangle's another one where it's prevent all combat damage that will be dealt this turn, and then um, attacking creatures don't untap during their controller's next upkeep, or untap step, and I put Spore Frog on here for that exact same reason. One, you have a little bit of graveyard recursion in the deck. It's mm-hmm. one mana, so it brings your curve down, and you can hot sack it at any time to um, rent all combat damage. Because I do, yeah, I agree. The same mentality that we're all talking about, this deck is potentially susceptible to getting focused so that you can't get off. So anything you can do to delay that or prevent that from happening, and that's where I'm talking about, like, your Mana Vault. Mana Vault isn't really going to help you win the game, in my opinion, any more than what you already have in the deck. Yeah. So... In the case of some of the whole table coming at you to stop you from comboing off, um, that's not going to save you. But a constant miss or a spore frog or something like that 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 might just be enough to buy you the time to get off to get off your combo. Um, yeah. So I would definitely look into the, the sort of fog uh, cards. I love those as well. I I also really like your um, psychosis crawler. Um, suggestion there too. I had a hard time putting that on the list because it just feels like a. I mean, you are. I think you have it in Guiza. Maybe do. you don't. Yeah, I do. And it, just the fact that it belong. I think it belongs in any deck that has a lot of draw. Mm-hmm. Putting in an AC, like why not put it in an AC too? Because you're going to draw a bunch of cards like that. So I, I think unfortunately it's a really efficient, effective card that should be in the deck because there's turns where you're drawing thirty cards. So yeah. that's a that's a big swing. But also, I I don't agree with it because I think that it's just an easy card to play. But, but I put it on I didn't list, realize so. that it was under a dollar too. Seeing it's forty nine cents, uh-huh. it's nuts. It's really no. went down in price. Um, what was the other one that I saw on here that you put? Um, Doom Whisperer. I liked uh, the throwback from Hedazuku, the Doom Whisperer, pay two lives for mail two. I think that's a yes. great option too. I think, um, I mean, it's just a perfect add in this card, especially when, yep. or this deck, when I want to know, I mean, it'd be nice to know what's on, what's coming, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. I, I do so, notice that Aaron did not include a replacement commander 
just like completely changing the archetype of the deck or anything like that. I just had help but notice. I thought um, Gitrog is in a pretty unique position where it's going to do what it's going to do, and I'm not sure there's a whole lot of other cards that are going to do what it wants to do. So Nick's better than us. No, in black. Hey, you know what? Play AC. I guess that's my suggestion. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it, but I think AC could run this deck very well. Yeah, weird how Martin went towards. It could because it doesn't have the big X cards. Weird how Martin went towards landfall, and Mm -hmm. uh, suggests AC. That's a a great, uh, great ability. Landfall is one of the best. I didn't even throw crater hoof on this list. Okay, huh? Who are you even? So Nick, (sighs) you've got some cards on here. These are obviously probably cards that you are considering have on the chopping block were in the deck at one point maybe not yeah. why aren't these in the deck um so a couple of these i've actually cut from the deck um sky Shroud, sky shroud claim was one of them um and return to nature just felt like i didn't need as much ramp as i thought i did in the deck um when i started playing it so i cut those two to add in some of that um, anti-graveyard hate um, but I also have some on here that I'm thinking about adding. Um, and one of them is Witchbane Orb as a four-cost artifact. And the first part of this doesn't normally apply to a lot of pods, but on, in our pod we have a player that plays Lind, um, which is a curse deck. Um, so this says, when it enters the battlefield, destroy all curses attached to you. I think that's a fantastic ability. But it also says you have Hexproof. Um with that, that's going to be trying to negate um, cards like Crypt Incursion. Um, Crypt Incursion is a... pull it up here. A two colorless, one black instant that says exile all creature cards from target, target player's graveyard. You gain three life for each card exile this way. I figured if graveyard hate was going to become a thing in our pod, probably some of that was going to happen. Um, this basically gives me hexproof from things that target me, so... I thought that was going to be a good way to kind of negate some of that uh, that or that graveyard hate. Um, another one, uh, really, my my suggestions for this deck is going to be things that stop players from messing with my graveyard. Right. So, I will say, I see ground seal on here, one colorless and a green enchantment. When it enters, you draw a card, and cards in graveyards can't be the targets of spells or abilities. I don't like that card in this deck personally. Because while it does stop people from interacting with your graveyard, you also can't interact with your graveyard. So then if your torment gets into your graveyard, yeah. you don't have a lot or anything really to sacrifice ground seal to, you know, then access your graveyard when you want to. Yeah. I, th- I think that one is <laughs> it's going to be risky. And that's a, I think that's a case of reading the card explains the card where sure. you know, when, I, when I first thought of this card, it was, oh, well, nobody can, you know. Nobody yep. outside can target my stuff, but then now that you say that, yeah, it's not great because if I want to recollect or anything mm-hmm. like that, I can't target my own, which kind of sucks, you know. So um, for sure, you I should put it put, in the deck. Okay, <laughs> I did put um, well this one too. Then the cards and graveyards can't be the card targets of spells or abilities. That silent gravestone. Yep. Um, same kind of thing there. So. But that one's a little bit different because you can pay and exile it. Oh, and all cards from all cards. No, never mind. Sorry, but probably don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. It has it has an ability where you pay for tap, exile, silent gravestone, and all cards from all graveyards. But you get yes. to draw a card, yeah. so it's not all downside. No, but, but it is like, a lot of downside for your deck. 
Yeah, there's one in here that I might be adding shortly, and it's Elixir of Immortality. It's a one-cost artifact that lets you tap two. Um, it, you gain five life and shuffle it into your, or shuffle it and your graveyard into your library. So just a, a nice way to give yourself back everything. Yeah. And it's sixty-nine cents. So that I. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I'll go through um, my suggestions. Um, my suggestions are kind of all over the place, basically just because really when you get down to the themes that you were going for, um, if I were going to build this deck, which I wouldn't because my brain doesn't operate on this level, um, sacrificing lands feels dirty to me. Maybe someday I'll get there, but it just feels bad. Um, but if I were going to, what cards would I put in there? Uh, and so, I mean, the big thing is, I think you could for the most part take most any of these cards um there's a few cards that i think don't really fit your gameplay style of looking for those big bombs and and solitaire because i i like attacking i like using my creatures to punch through so that's like why i put black blade reforged where you get a plus one plus one for each land you control so even if you you know some of your return all the lands from your graveyards whatever then you've got Get Rog armed with Black Blade, and you're dumping out just a ton of damage. Um, things like that. Uh, one card that showed up both on Aaron and Mai's list was Seder Wayf Wayfinder, which is a uh, colorless in a forest for a 1 1. Uh, Seder, when Seder Wayfinder enters the battlefield, reveal the top four cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them into your hand, put the rest into your graveyard. So it's kind of more of a one-time use uh card um compared to underrealm lich uh but it's it's accomplishing the same thing and some mm -hmm. of my stuff um if i had to be honest i'm cheap so they're not going to be as effective of cards but they're going to be 49 cents um the most expensive card that i put on the list was uh jared golgari lich lord which is two swamp and two forest he's a two two jared golgari lich gets plus one plus one for each creature card in your graveyard it's going to be a side effect from searching through and putting all of your um, cards in your graveyard land i mean again i'm circling back to the under realm lich experience because that's just been a focal point of that deck the last few yeah. times that we've played and you're going to incidentally be able to stack a whole bunch of creatures in there um, it also has pay one colorless, one swamp, one forest, sacrifice another creature. Each opponent loses life equal to the sacrifice creature's power, which is a pretty good thing when you've got a bunch of graveyard return. Um, and you can also, he just keeps going, sacrifice a swamp and a forest, return Jared from your graveyard to your hand, um, which is just a nice way to keep that engine going. Again, it doesn't yeah. really fit the style. It could fit in this deck, it's not as efficient as some of your other cards, but it's something that I would probably put in there because I'm cheap. So, I mean, you've got a bunch of cards that, I mean, admittedly, you didn't go out and buy all these expensive cards. They're cards that you had from other decks. It's not like you went out and wholesale, you know, you didn't specifically yeah. go out and buy a Mana Vault for this. But if I was building this deck, that's where I would have to go through. Um, and then we talked about it already, Zurin Orb. Zero cost, sacrifice land, gain Love to life. Card. It's doing just a lot of good for you. It's the it's other one that uh, for going wide that I thought was just interesting. I don't think it's that great of a card, 
but I think it's kind of a, a neat little card, is uh, Worm Harvest, which is a sorcery. It's two colorless and then um, three Swamp Forest. So you have, you've got the choice as five mana cost. You create a 1-1 one, one black and green worm creature token for each land card in your graveyard. And then it has Retrace, with which is you may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs. So that's like one that. where you could, in theory, if you left yourself enough mana as you're playing through, it's a little situational, but you could give yourself a pretty wide board just full of chump blockers to kind of keep out some of that stuff and then just get it back and have it have it going. Mm-hmm. I love that I like card. The, I do like the retrace ability that you don't have to exile it then too, so like you can just keep retracing it. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of keeps really going. Cool, it's, actually. Admittedly, it's a little expensive, you know, that, that five cost, but given the ramp that you've, that you've mm-hmm. been able to pull off with this, I don't think it's outside of the realm. And again, I... If I were building this deck, I don't think I'd be winning winning turn six, turn seven, turn eight, turn nine. It'd be it'd be a ten, eleven, twelve type of thing. So I've got a little more time to play my cards. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. Worm harvest. Looking at it, looks like it it might have to be a must add if I was building this deck too. So no, it's a great it's, card for sure. It's doing everything you want. You could go wide with it, or if you just need you know chump blockers, that's that's going to be great. And you're going to yep. get to sacrifice lands to play it constantly. I mean, yeah, I love that, I, though. I think I have to play Devil's Advocate here. Um, That's so crazy. Say, yeah, and say that I disagree, and it's going to give me an ulcer to disagree. Because while I agree with Bill and Martin <clears throat> that it's something that maybe I would play in the deck, this this deck is one of the decks at our table that I think is... Honestly, it's more CEDH than it is EDH. Um, it's, I mean, it is. I, there's no other yeah. way around it. It's hyper efficient. It's a $340 deck. It's got so many ways to get the. F- you can say there's a lot of them, but there's two main win cons in it. There's a few extra mm-hmm. ways to get around that, but you have so many ways to get to those two big main win cons, and it can be fast. So adding something novel like Worm Harvest is ultimately just going to detract from the deck. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be in a meaningful way. I don't think it's ever going to be silly enough that we'll all laugh because you killed everybody with 40 1-1 worms. I don't think it's ever going to be that good. Um, But if you let them. I mean, that's why a lot of the cards that I wanted to put in here and did put in here... um, Ultimately, they just boil down to staving people off until you can get to your stuff. So, like, Coscoon Falls, it's an enchantment. It's a two-colorless, two-swamp for an enchantment, and during your upkeep, tap target, untap creature you control or sacrifice it. Well, you don't attack, so you're going to have creatures to tap. And then it's essentially um, a propaganda, a black propaganda. So no creature can attack you unless its controller pays an additional two-colorless whenever that creature attacks. That sort of stuff, I, I don't find it very fun. But in this yeah. deck, it's like the it's the best case scenario to just buy time for you to get off what you need to get off. And I think a lot of the other cards that we're suggesting, even my own, I think ultimately they're, they're just going to power down the deck from where it's at. Yeah, I guess that's a good segue, too, to talk about, I mean, 
I, I have put a lot of time and effort into the deck, but I, I mean, how does it feel to play against? And I feel like I know your answer to this, Aaron, but do you feel like it's too much for our table? Too much what? It, just to be clear, what are you asking? Yeah. Well, Aaron compared it to CEDH, so I just wondered if it was maybe too fast, too much for our current pod and the the deck levels currently that are played. Like, do you think it operates too efficiently? I wouldn't go that far. I'll let Aaron try okay. to like clear the blood out of his mouth as he's going through. <laughs> I would not say. I would say it's probably. I mean, just looking at the stats and how it's played and and the efficiency of it. Yeah. And also, just the play style is so different from every other deck at the table that I would say it is very different. The thing that I will say is, I mean. It's got a 33% win rate. It is a deck where when you play, because we know we have until turn 7 when playing against you, and also it doesn't take much of an actual physical board state. It takes the cards yeah. in your hand more than anything. Just naturally, it's going to get to a point, and we've talked about this multiple times with multiples of your decks. I mean, overall... I did average turns one through the um, entire season for everybody. Uh, like Aaron and I are sitting at 10 turns for a win. What are you doing to me? You're at eight and a half for okay. all of your decks. And that's easy there, Nick. That's two okay. turns less. Yeah, settle down, settle down, <laughs> mute yourself a little bit. Yeah. So like the way you play and that kind of stuff, it's going to get to a point where if we want a chance at winning, you're going to get focused down whether or not you have a board state. Absolutely. And I I think that's something where it, it's going to turn against us, because if you're having fun playing the deck, I don't care. Um, and yeah. I, I mean, that's that's kind of where it is. But I just hope that it continues to be fun when you're focused yeah. down, because we don't know what you have in your hand unless you're going to turn the cards around and play it with it facing us, because it doesn't matter what we do. That I think it's going to quickly turn around, and Aaron and Martin can jump in too, but I think it, it'll turn around to are you having fun? Absolutely. I'm playing fun three on one. I mean, the, the deck I'll... is super fun to play against. I think my biggest um, worry is that it is so unfun for the rest of my friends to play against that that's not fun for me, if that makes sense. Like, I, I love the deck. I love the ability to utilize my lands in a very unique way to sack them, to play as much as possible my whole deck i mean i i mean we all you know we play commander so we, we have hundred card decks i mean who doesn't want to see their entire deck every time they play you guys I mean, have I think that's such a hundred cards decks usually um i think that's such a fun thing to do to be able to wheel through your entire deck and that's why i, I mean i built quaza for that reason i built gitrog for the same i just don't want to get to a point where i pull it out and people are thinking I am going to be the most bored I've ever been in my entire life during I'll this I'll be game. honest with you, I think you're at that point right now. I can't, okay. speak, for every, I can't speak for everybody. I, okay. I, and this is coming from an, a reformed H&K player who has <sighs> had to see a few times an yeah. entire table staring at me, glassy-eyed, while yeah. I play the game by myself for, you know, 10 minutes yeah. and win. But, I mean, one of the last games we played, I think you won on turn five or six. The game lasted over an hour. Like it's not, it's not a fun experience. I don't think for yeah. a lot of people. And I think at the end of the day, 
the reason that it's it's good is because you you can do all this one sided stuff, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of interaction for other people. Now you can say, well, everybody else should be running more interaction or more interference or more control that, that or whatever. Was my next question, yeah, and that's but you know I think EDH rec podcast they just had an episode about that and i think somebody had said that is a i'm gonna butcher it but i'm paraphrasing here they had said that's a that is advice that is logical but it's not helpful because you can say that and it's true but also i mean what are we talking about you can't you can only run so much removal you can only answer so many problems um but that's why i'm saying this is this seems more like a cedh deck where the play style is interesting. You're a great combo player. Your decks are good, but you benefit, I think, from the sort of asymmetrical play that a lot of the table isn't as familiar with, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily familiar with the combos or the potential. Um, so that that benefits from that. But then also, I think that it is hurt by the expectation that. Some people are there to play a casual game. Maybe they have a pre-con. Maybe they have uh, just a big, stupid deck. This isn't that. And I think mm-hmm. that it can diminish that experience for certain people when they see, well, my deck doesn't take a 20-minute turn. And yours has to, which is yeah. is a sign of you know your uh, your game intelligence and your deck building, but also... Other people are like, well, this isn't what I signed on for. And like I said, it's the same thing with H&K when I'm taking five turns in a row and to win the game or whatever. But it's going to take me 10 turns or 10 minutes to to puzzle it all out and explain my plays. Yeah. People aren't there for that, I don't think, at our table. And that's part of the, that's part of the reason why I dismantled it for myself. And I'm not saying you should dismantle this deck, but I am saying that's why I, th- I think it airs more on the side of CEDH than EDH because it's so efficient and there's a few main lines of play that you're going for that makes yeah. it hard to suggest cards to put into it or take out of it um, that aren't going to just power down the deck. I think it's it's pretty much to a point outside of the you know expensive lands and that sort of thing. I I, I think it's at a point where like there's not a lot you can do to it that isn't going to just make it better. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you in that in that respect. I think it brings up an interesting topic that I'm I'm happy to talk about on the podcast and it's I mean, we talk about suggesting cards to make a deck better, right? I mean that's mm-hmm. kind of the point that we've been doing here. What would you suggest or what would you all suggest that needs to get removed from this deck to bring it back down to maybe a level that is at around the same as the rest of the table is to make it well, not I'll, not that. I'll jump in. I want to jump in there because I, I think it's important to distinguish what I think Aaron is trying to say, and that's that I don't think this deck is more powerful than other decks at the table. One, I don't think we're running... Our pod is not running basic decks, right? Like, we've got exactly. some high-powered decks. Kyler just swung for 165, you know, the other day when we were don't playing. Don't slander this podcast by talking uh, about Kyler. We're I don't think the decks. I don't think the deck <laughs> is too powerful. I mean, it's got a yes, 33% win rate. I agree. Okay. I think what Aaron is saying specifically is that it's got a solitary vibe to it, mm-hmm. and yeah. that can be hard for newer players 
to have to sit through or watch, or even experienced players to have to sit through and watch. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is something you have to be aware of. How many times are we going to run a deck like that every night? Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I've only played against this deck, I think twice. You guys just had a vacation where you were playing a lot of magic, and I don't know how many times the deck was run. But it's like if I see this deck once a night, I I can live with that. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that I will say has helped is you've learned the deck a little bit more because you've been able to play it. So there you know where you are in the decision tree. So Yeah. Um you know, and I will also say that like part of it is we also slowed you down a little bit because we didn't know what was happening with the deck and so you've been doing an excellent job of being very thorough and doing every single trigger and pointing it out which takes time and so i think that you know a little bit of that is something that we asked for but yeah i mean it definitely it definitely took a little while and like i mean the last time that we played where you won in six turns or whatever. We also started that game at what ten forty five at night. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Very true. Which yep. was painful when you're at a cabin that start in Nakwa, Wisconsin, with yeah. <laughs> five kids on different sleep schedules and also not yeah, on their so own true. sleep schedule. Yeah. Like yeah, that. That absolutely. was a that was a rough one to 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 sit through a little bit. But yeah, I think it's just. You know, and it's it's tough because that's also just your play style. You like the combo play yeah. and you like that. I do. I, I will say, yeah, I, and like I said, I'm not trying to, to rag on the deck at, at all. I, I don't, I agree, I'm glad Mark and Claire, but I'm not trying to say, I don't I don't think this deck is too powerful for the table. I think it's, okay. I just think the experience of playing against it, it's not my personal favorite. Uh, I think, I think a very similar deck, I mean, almost identical deck from my chair is Quaza, and I find Quaza more interesting because turns don't take as long, and the count, like, if Quaza and Gitrog are both going to win on turn 6, we're either playing a 25-minute game with Quaza, or playing an hour-long game with Gitrog, because Quaza just has, like, a combo when you're there. Gitrog just has so much more, it's efficient setup, and, like, in terms of a game, it's fast. Yeah. But the setup in your turn takes so long. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, like, in my own defense, H&K, you'd sit there for 10, 15 minutes, watch me play, but chances are I'm getting six six turns in a row, and then I'm winning the game. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, Gitrog's turns take a long time. And again, no fault of your own. It's just, like, the way the interactions work. And then it might be like, okay, well, we just sat through a 15-minute turn to set things up for you to yeah. win in two turns. And, Correct, th- and yeah. that can be tough. Also to, to Bill and Martin's points, I think that it's tricky for our, we have a pod where we have a varying degree of investment in the game, both financially and just intellectually, uh, I think. And, you know, people are turned on by different things. Like I said, some people are running pre-con, some people are running big swingy decks and that sort of thing. Some people so I are think running Kyler. Yeah, and so I think the play style, um, it, it leads to some weird asymmetrical play that I think we're learning to navigate. Where yeah. you know you don't you have decks where a board state is deceiving, and mm-hmm. people don't necessarily know your combo pieces. So sometimes I feel guilty calling out like, "Okay, guys, this is a piece. This is one part of a piece that he needs for his puzzle, where he's just going to win out of nowhere." 
Yeah. And people might not believe me or they might not trust it or whatever the case may be, or maybe they don't have an answer or whatever it is or underestimate it. But it is a weird thing for everybody, I think, involved. And I don't think it's any fault. I don't think there's anything to change. But uh, it is one of those things where it's like um, it can win out of nowhere in a sense. And people mm-hmm. are like, wait, why did I just lose? Well, I would have attacked yeah. you had I known that. And then, but then it also leads to experiences where you might be like, I don't have anything. Why are you attacked? Like, I'm going to be out of this game and I'm going to sit here for 40 minutes while you guys play the rest of this game. Well, that sucks too. But you can't, like Bill said, like, you cannot give you the benefit of the doubt because exactly. it's yeah. going to come out of nowhere. And so and that's where that's- it's like a, tr- it's a tricky deck to navigate. Whereas like Mark was saying, if you play it once a night or something like that, I don't see any problem with it. It isn't my favorite deck of yours to experience and to, to compare it to something that isn't in, it's not comparable to this deck, but your flip deck, oh. we went from, we went from, I don't remember what the, what the turn order or the play order was, but we went from Gitrog where it was real quiet. And I'm not, like, I think at one point Scott said it was the most boring game he's ever played. And I'm sorry <laughs> that he said that, but the next two, day two, he's two, trying two, to throw the deck in the lake. He's two, like two, you playing your flip deck and everybody's That's laughing and we're having a fun time. Like well, the flip, like it was, were. yeah, but I, I well, you lost, it, so, so. It, it is one of those tricky things. Like I said, I went through the same thing with H and K where like, I felt like I would really only play it once a night. And yeah. I don't want you. I know it's your your favorite deck. You, I think you've said a few times, and you enjoy playing it. So I would never tell you. We'll only play this once a night, or people are going to be mad. I would never say that. But it is one of those decks. I think that like it. You asked how people around the table feel. My own experience. It's something that I don't want to play against all night long because the night's going to get really. Long. Yeah, and I. I mean, I. I have been playing it often because. I knew we were going to talk about it on the pod, sure. so I yeah, wanted absolutely. to get as many. I mean, I recently built it, so I wanted to get as much play out of it as yes. possible. And when I say it's my favorite deck, I the play style is my favorite. I love being able to sacrifice my lands, do everything that Gitrock kind of allows you to do. And yeah, it, it's a it's kind of a tedious deck as far as triggers go. And like Bill was talking about, I think now that maybe the table and the pod understand how the deck runs and how I understand the deck runs a little bit better. Maybe those turns are going to be a little quicker. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not a deck that I think I'm going to play four times a night anymore. I mean, it's a yeah. deck that, I mean, I and think I, during our vacation, I played it twice, you know, and I encourage week, so. you, to, I encourage everybody to play their decks more because obviously that's the way you get better at the deck and you, mm-hmm. it's, you're, you can, you're never going to see most of your cards unless you play the deck a lot. Um, I, I do think, I, you know, I've got a Cathril deck that's also a graveyard deck, um, an Olivia deck that does a lot of recursion. Um, but I think it also benefits you. Benefit the deck benefits the table experience suffers a little bit from the fact that as of right now, our our quote unquote meta there isn't a lot of graveyard hate. There's never mm-hmm. there hasn't really been a need for it. This deck I think gets a little bit more manageable in terms of experience at the table. As soon as people realize, like, oh, I have answers yeah. to this stuff, but we don't play a lot of blue or a lot of counters, which I think is necessary against this deck, or graveyard heart, which is next necessary against this deck. So this deck is already a powerhouse, and typically, the the decks that are playing against it, I don't think right now are very well suited to answer your, as Bill referred to them as solitaire lines of play. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, their I only solution is to attack you, and if they can't 
deal 40 damage in five or six turns, they're probably out of luck. So I think mm-hmm. when, but, but also, I mean, there's, those, there are solutions to it. And so I think there's a healthy balance of um, graveyard hate and removal that I don't know. I think it's, I think it's all well in line and stuff like that. I think it's just, I think it does err on the side of more CEDH just in terms of the more, um, individualistic lines of play and looking for your efficient combos and stuff like that. I would agree with you there. I mean, I have like one, two, two, three win cons in there and there's multiple ways to get to them. So I, I see what you're saying there for sure. I mean, absolutely. And it is, I mean, it's my definitely probably aside from Quasa, my most efficient deck to do what it's doing. So I, I might argue it's more efficient than Quasar. It is. I, I, I Comparing would. wins, Quasar is typically 11 or 12 turns, if I remember correctly. Quasar has a lot head. of different combos in it. This one has it, a lot of ways to get to two combos. Yeah, that and that's sense. where, like, I I mean, Quasar is a whole other can of worms. We'll talk about it. If I have a gun to my head, I'm choosing Quasar over this, if only because I like the... I, I personally play... Commander, one of the reasons I enjoy Commander is to see all of these different cards and see the variability in play. And so Quasa isn't as efficient and has, but I mean, to your credit, you have a million combos in it that are going to win you the game. And I, while I don't love infinite combos, I appreciate the variability in the game and seeing mm-hmm. the different interactions and being able to stop things as opposed to, I mean, at this point, I very I feel like I can confidently with like a seventy percent accuracy call your lines of play. You were doing it the last game. We yeah, played. and that and that <laughs> and that just to me like it's a signal. It's a sign of a really good, efficient, powerful deck. My own take on the game. It's not something I care for. I'm not That's here fair. to. I'm not here to you know yuck your yum or anything like that. So I I don't want to discourage you. That's just where like if I'm, I'm picking Quaza over this any day of the week. I think they're both really strong against. decks. Yeah. Okay. I think they're both really strong decks. I just think like that's where I think this deck suffers a little bit as from my perspective as an opponent to play against. Okay. Yeah. But I but I think the deck is great and that's where like I don't think there's a lot I would change about it. Okay. Maybe the commander though. I know you have a tendency no. to. No. Uh have you heard of AC the But I do have a question that's actually. CMC. One, looking at your deck list, I am confused about why you have Archfiend of Ifnir in this deck. Archfiend of Ifnir is three colorless, two swamps, the flying five four, and whenever you cycle or discard another card, put a minus one minus one counter on each creature, each creature your opponent's control. Yeah, so I, I can understand. I see where it could be good, but again, your de- your lines of play are so efficient already that I don't really see this. He needed an extra card. This, <laughs> so I mean, in here, I mean, I have a lot of different things. I've got Underrealm Lich to draw and do the thing. Yep. I've got um, Flip in the Graveyard. Another way to get kind of get Drug's um, ability off is to discard lands. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of creatures in here that allow you to discard. Sure. So if I can get something like, um, where is it? I just had it up here. Scourge Familiar or something out, or Putrid Imp even. Sure. It, you know, it says discard from your hand, and it gets, I mean, that's just a free discard trigger, and if I can discard, I mean, let's say you all have the biggest creature of a 6-6 six, six out, and I can discard mm-hmm. 
six cards and wipe your whole boards and still combo off with Gitrog, I mean, that's way more that's beneficial fair. to me than, than waiting to get attacked by you. I guess... I guess to me, in my experience playing, and I think I've played against this deck literally all nine games. Uh, maybe, I, maybe not, but I'm I don't close think I've ever played Archfiend though. And, and that's my point: is that mm-hmm. you're, the deck is the the engine of Gitrog is so efficient. You are drawing mm-hmm. an exorbitant amount of cards as soon as Gitrog hits the board. Essentially, that this this card is that is almost never getting in the limelight because at that point you're looking for your win con. Because yeah. you are gonna go off in a turn or two, and I don't really see you like you discard a lot of cards, and you're gonna you would board wipe if you played it. But at that point, like that five mana to play that card and set it up is actually slowing you down. I yeah. don't, and I, I don't know I, that I would. Now keep that we're it talking in about it, I think I mean this deck I think benefits so much from cards like Worldly Tutor and mm-hmm. this card called Eldritch Evolution. It's a mm-hmm. three cost, one colorless, three green or two green that says an additional cost to cast it, sacrifice a creature which I'll probably get back. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less where X is two plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. Put that card out of the battlefield, then shuffle your library and exile this. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of cards in here that are three CMC creatures. Yep. So if I get one of those out turn two or three yep. and i draw into this i'm getting under elm lich every time because it's five exactly you know yeah. so it's, it's hard not to get lich out yep. when you have ways to get him out with tutors and i think if it were me to maybe scale it back a little bit it might be there starting with the the, the, the tutor ability of the deck because yeah once you get lich out it, it does its own thing it's, it's its own i don't have to do anything so, yeah, it's tough. And that, it's tough to get rid of because of that indestructible too. Yeah, it's it'll pay for a life, uh, and it's indestructible till the end of the turn. I will. I will say, like I said, like that's the that's the silly thing about this deck is I. I mean, the number one suggestions should be well, why don't you have demonic tutor in this deck? I, think, I mean, why doesn't every black deck have demonic tutor? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and and that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, I but I even then like you want to talk about powering down the deck i mean yeah the tutors are going to do that a little bit but this deck is so i mean get rock is just such an efficient engine that mm-hmm. it'll it will power it down a little bit but like you're gonna get those cards if we just let you anyways yeah. um so yeah I, it's that's one card that i think like it's good and i can see where it could be good in a situation in a situation i don't see it I see it more as detracting from the deck. If you were looking to make it even more efficient, <laughs> I would maybe. Do you want it to run car. smoother? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I mean, at this point, might as well just put me out of my misery. I mean, he, he, he still hasn't beaten that turn five win. So I'm gonna get there. That's <laughs> not, not without that mana vault. You're not. Uh, Shut up. But like, like Archfiend of Ifnir is is one of those cards. Like in um, like in Olivia, it's really good because I that deck isn't gonna doesn't have the same lines like you have like I said, yeah and it, it, it wasn't meant to insult your deck when i say like there are really two predictable lines of play for this deck um or at least the patterns and this doesn't really fit into those whereas olivia doesn't have that i'm just discarding cards and if that's out that's a huge I, i'm yeah. gonna mean i'm attacking people um so that i think that is one where like i, I understand like in a vacuum it seems like it would be really good but in practice playing against this deck I've I've never come across a situation where it's like, oh man, if you'd had that Archfiend Nifnir out, oh, you yeah. would have smoked us. Or, ooh, you bet you wish you had that Archfiend out. Like, it doesn't doesn't really come 
about I think a lot of the style of this deck is it's kind of all or nothing and the sort of half measures like Archfiend don't really don't really it's not it's not a flavor win and it's not a efficiency win I guess for me yeah I would I would agree with you there well I think I mean I think this is a pretty good place to put a pin in it. Um, do you guys have any well, last me, thoughts? And we're going to end on me dissing this. Yeah, I've dad. actually just marked that. I'm going to cut it out. The entire the it. entire episode is just Aaron so burn it. Uh, talking Ugh. about this Throw deck the garbage. and how terrible yeah. it is. Where None of the suggestions, yeah, some of the fair. good things. It's just I'm going to edit it down so that's it's fair. just Aaron saying, that's Nick, your deck is terrible. You wish you could do what I could do with 5 Life. Hey. Right. Hey. Um, do you guys have any last thoughts as we're going through? No, I just like you know, thank you guys for the suggestions and talking about the deck. I, I really do enjoy the deck, and I I work hard on it. You know, it's a it's and a fun it shows. Deck. It shows. Yes, <laughs> I want to end on a positive note and say it definitely shows, and I think it is a very quintessential Nick deck in the best way. It it really does show your commitment to the game and your knowledge, um, and. The pacing I, back I and think... forth as you uh, as you goldfish your own decks as you've got four of them set up. I mean, it <laughs> it shows. It, it was worth okay. the miles you put on walking around the <laughs> the end of the bar there, uh, I'm running about all four. I'm, about I'm glad Bill hijacked my praise for the deck to dunk on one hundred percent. That's what what's known as an alley. I know you don't really do <sighs> the sports, but you just put it up there, and I brought it home. If you can't dunk against Gitrog, you might as well dunk against me. Listen, yeah, I'm not exactly talking right. just yet. I will say, I think one of the the most annoying but smartest inclusions in this deck is Braids. Shut your mouth. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I, do, I do love that card so much. It's fantastic. Braids yeah. is a one colorless, two swamp, three, three legendary nightmare. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice an artifact, creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker. If you do, each opponent may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with it. For each opponent who doesn't, that player loses two life and you draw a card. So you are drawing. Maybe I mean, three. I'm just going to say, no, minimum. no, minimum. No, you're drawing five cards, or th- I guess what? four cards, because you're going to draw a card when that land hits the graveyard. And nobody is sacrificing a land. There's no... Yeah. I, and if somebody no. did, I would shame them publicly at the table. Because what was... you're not... That's not a trade you're winning. You're not no. slowing you down by not... No. So I, not. I, 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 it's a fantastic... It's a fantastic card in the deck. And I hate it every time I see it. But well, that was out with really Underrealm Lich. That one game. Yeah. And I was... That was gnarly. Those two yeah. interacting was... Yeah, it's really insane. good. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was something. And with that, before Aaron <laughs> says another word, we're going to cut it off there. Uh, thanks for listening. You can find us on the social medias, the X, the Twitters, the uh, Instagrams, the threads. Uh, that's really all that I have the capacity for. At DeckPicksPod. Uh, you can also find us on Moxfield and follow along with the deck. Um, it is deck picks pod on moxfield.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next time thank you thank you ciao thanks for tuning in to this episode of the deck picks podcast you can find us on social media at deck picks pod 
and you can find us on Moxfield under the same username, and we'll be posting links to this deck with all of our suggestions under the considering. Feel free to take a look, let us know, like, comment, subscribe, and thank you for spending time with us today. Bye.